LifeWise is, uh, is an amazing ministry. Uh, and honestly, when you think about what the church really is, that's the church. You know, the church is the gathering. And so um, a lot of kids won't come to church. You know, they may not end up here, but they'll end up there. And then maybe they'll end up continuing to grow their faith. And so if you want to find out um, if you are in Johnstown or Gahanna or uh, New Albany, they have it for sure, then you can go to this website right here, not the one that Joel mentions in the video, this one, lifewise.org. And you can find if there's a, a, uh, um, if, if there's a LifeWise by you and your school or whatever for your kids to go to. Uh, I think it's important to say that, you know, taking advantage of this for your kids is, is important. They, they may not always be allowed to do this, you know. They may not always be allowed to gather in the, in the building and, or all, right outside the building during school hours and learn about who God is. So that's an incredible thing. And we have a lot of people that have kids in it here. And the reason for this message today is uh, in New Albany and in any of the other schools around here, you can still sign up, you know, because school starts this coming week. And so you can still sign up. You can still have them figure it out and they can kind of figure out how it works at their school. I think they kind of go during an elective time and uh, it's an amazing thing. So we really hope that uh, you guys can see if your kids wanna be involved in something like that. And if you have more questions as a parent, uh, we have uh, today, Nicole is with us from LifeWise and she'll be out in the lobby and you can talk to her and ask any questions that you want. So we're, we're grateful for, for LifeWise. Uh, a couple of months ago in May, we had the Roy Hall Leadership uh, Conference here at the church, and it was fantastic. We had all kinds of amazing communicators come in and teach, you know, leadership principles uh, along with, with Roy and myself and some others. One, one of my favorites was Cameron Mitchell. Cameron Mitchell, the restaurant pioneer, you know, creator was, was here, and he got to share the story of his great success. And if you don't know Cameron Mitchell, um, he wrote a book, kind of that told the story of how he made his restaurant so successful. Uh, the book is called, Yes is the Answer, What is the Question? Yes is the Answer, What is the Question? And this whole book kind of grows out of, and what he'll tell is the story of how his entire restaurant uh, philosophy and culture and the reason for the success kind of grew out of his interaction one time he had when he was out to dinner and, uh, and he was somewhere and they were looking for dessert and he asked if he could have a milkshake. He said, can I, can I have a milkshake? And the, the waitress looked at the menu and said, we don't have milkshakes on the menu. And then uh, he overheard somebody ask a couple tables away for some vanilla ice cream. And they said, yeah, you can have some vanilla ice cream. So something kind of stirred up in him. He got a little bit frustrated and he called the waitress back over and he said, so you, let me ask you again, can I get a milkshake? And she's like, it's not on the menu. And he goes, well, do you have vanilla ice cream? Which you already knew. And she said, yeah. He said, do you have milk? She said, yeah. He said, do you have chocolate syrup? And she said, yeah. And he goes, you can make a milkshake. And so he he had her go and make a milkshake and the milkshake was brought and he got a milkshake. And from, from that moment on, uh, Cameron Mitchell restaurants were all about like providing this exceptional uh, person 
based kind of, uh, you know, about people, people focused uh, luxurious experiences where, you know, if, if, if there's anything that you want that we can do, I mean anything. And so from this, he taught this really cool business prin- principle about culture, which, which uh, transcends and matches into the, into the Christian community. Organizational culture equals behaviors repeated at scale. And so what they found is that because that's the way that his heart was and the way that he modeled interacting with, with people that were coming to the restaurant, they would actually, um, they had people, they found out after he wrote the book, they had some people, not, not after he wrote the book, but after he started telling that story, he had people that worked in other restaurants and he got a phone call one time from a person that knew the milkshake story. They were at one of his restaurants. They asked for a milkshake and the waitress said no. And he went, oh no, like, you know, what's happening at the top isn't working its way into our culture. Like the behaviors aren't sinking in. And so he actually, um, now when he brings every single group of people together, when they first start, they have to go through training at at Cameron Mitchell restaurants and they all learn the milkshake story. And it's like the story. That's like their thing that they do. And now they have stories that kind of embody the heart of the milkshake story. One time, they, uh, there's a story of a person who's at a restaurant and they asked for, I think it was like orange chicken. Orange chicken. And they were at not, at, not one of his like, you know, Asian cuisine things, not at that. It just, and, and the person goes, sure, I can get that. And they, they left. They went down the street. They bought orange chicken they, from a different restaurant. They plated it and they served it. Here you go, what else? What else do you want? And so it really, when you're talking about, you know, organizational culture, you really are talking about a set of behaviors that comes from a why and, a, and kind of a purpose and, a, and it gets the spirit that trickles into, this is how we all behave. And that is what Jesus has called us to. And that's what this series is about, is about wearing Christ. And what happens is we wear all kinds of other things. We wear what's and we wear different who's and we, we, we kind of can have success or we can have happiness determine what we do in our lives. And that's what this series is about. Now, this is the fifth week of the series. So I'm not gonna recap because if I recapped all four weeks, then week five would just be a, week, a recap. So you're gonna have to go back. But the gist of this series is that when we wear something, when we say we're putting someone on, which the Bible talks about over and over again, that we're in Christ, or that we put on Christ, it's we're saying we're going to follow that person. We're gonna pattern our life after theirs. We're gonna model, emulate, and become like them. That's like what we're gonna do. And as Christ followers, that's what we were called to. Not just to say a prayer, not just to say we believe something, but that faith is more than just kind of an internal conviction. It's a conviction that's mixed with action. And if it's not real faith, then there's no actual tangible action that is testable. So that's what we're talking about. And, and, and this has been specifically designed for young adults because what I find to be uh, pervasive in, you know, whatever it is, 30 and under, is this very kind of lackadaisical, unarticulated, unintentional uh, decision-making grid. And it's, you know, kind of wherever the river takes me and whatever makes me feel good and whatever makes me happy. And I haven't intentionally decided how I'm gonna make my decisions. And then when I have to make a real hard decision, kind of find out what your 
character really is all about instead of deciding I'm going to uh, not let culture, I'm not going to let just that person who might be a good person, I'm gonna let the person of Jesus who's God in the flesh be the one whom I model my life after. And that's not just kind of how I pray or if I go to church on Sunday, that's the way I live my life every single day. And then of course we have the Holy Spirit of the living God who is in us trying to win us and remind us and help us and aid us in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, when we talk about the milkshake story, when we think about that, it's interesting to think about it in terms of a milkshake. And even if you talk about orange chicken, there's a certain extent that any person would go to if they're trying to embody saying yes, putting the answer, here's my answer is yes. Now, what's the question? It's like, well, how far, how, how outrageous? What if the request is so outrageous that, you know, I just can't do that. It's like, can we really all, can we really say yes to everything, really? Like, say you are in one of his American cuisines and they don't have a steak on the menu and they want a steak uh, that is like, you know, I like my steak mid-rare push a poivre, okay? That, that's, I'm kind of steaky. I like steak. And that's like their, their pepper sauce. And I like it a certain way. And I like how they sear it and all that stuff. I worked at Mitchell's. Actually, when Cameron was here, um, uh, I got to put his microphone on and I had like a cool experience because the, like, growing up, I was like, hey man, like I worked for you all these times. He was really nice. But I, I thought it was really cool. But imagine going to a place and saying that and they're just like, oh, I mean, we don't have the stove for that. We can't go, how are we gonna, do? it's too much. It's like, there's gotta be a certain point where it's like, okay, that's a nice philosophy, but we can't actually, say yes to everything. It's like, well, can I bring in my kid's table here, you know, the red, white, and blue thing and have it sit next to me here in the bar? And can we put like Cheerios and milk on the table while we sit here and have our steak? It's like, oh, yes is the answer. What's the question? No, you can't do that. So the question then becomes, well, how committed are we? You know, how much will we do? How far will we go? What is the cost, you know? Uh, and I think that what we need to consider is that when we think about following Christ, that is what we're actually saying to Christ, is that we're saying, Jesus, yes is the answer. Now, what's the direction? You know, like, I trust you. And the, the, the hard part about this is that when, when we actually think about following Christ holistically, like, there is a set of things that feels like milkshakes. You know, it's like, well, I can do that. Okay, I can do that. I can, I can come to, you know, I can go to church every Sunday and I can, I can wake, wake up and read my Bible and I can, you know, I can forgive. I can be nice. I can be kind to my neighbor. Check, I got that one. What about love your enemy? Oh yeah, I mean, theory. Yeah, yeah, yes is the answer. What's the question? Love your enemy? Of course. I'll love my enemy. Well, what, wait until you have an enemy that you really don't like. It's like, yeah, you just crossed the line. Like, it's just an idea. It's just an idea that we're gonna say yes and then do whatever it is. It's not real because if it gets too outrageous, there's no way we can do that. I think that when we start to think about Jesus, a lot of us have the milkshake version of following Jesus, of wearing Christ. It's like, I'm gonna wear him here, but I'm not gonna wear him there. I'm gonna act like him now, but I'm not gonna act like him later. He wouldn't really want me to do it that extreme. He wouldn't really want me to give it up. He, he doesn't want me to lose myself completely. 
right? Like this is like a, come on, that's, that's like a euphemism, right? Like you're just like, you're being hyperbolic, Joel. Like that's not really what it is. But when we start thinking about following Christ, I think you need to hear this. And I think it's important for us as Christ followers when we consider who we're gonna wear that it costs a lot to follow Christ. It costs a lot. It, like, now we're not talking about right salvation, right? We, Jesus is the one, he paid it all. It doesn't cost you anything to have the opportunity to follow Christ. But when you choose to follow Christ, it's a call to very extreme realities, not just milkshake philosophies. It's like, uh, I mean, there's very intense language around the cost of following Christ. It's like you're gonna die, you're gonna die to yourself, you're gonna count the cost. I mean, so you start to think like, when we think about that, we probably just look and hear those words through the lens of the milkshake reality. Because when it becomes real, it becomes a major inconvenience. I wanna talk about this today. I wanna talk about this uncomfortable line of the cost of following Christ and what it means and how we're supposed to go about that to the extreme sense and put some framing around it so that we can digest it and actually do it. You see, when you choose to follow Christ, really, it's a choice to believe that Jesus and the direction he has for your life, which is to hit the mark, which we've talked about over the past couple, is best. That's what you're saying. You're saying your way is the best way. And it may be incredibly difficult. It may be oh, just painful at times. It may be so much more than a milkshake that you go, oh, I can't believe I got myself into this at times. It can be. It's an adjustment. It's, it's, an, it's a massive adjustment that you make. You know, if you think about adjustments, um, it's not just a, just a thought thing. It's, it's like a physical reality. You know, if you've ever been to a chiropractor and they like twist you in half and you hear everything crack and your skull pops, you ever had that? That's like a real adjustment. You know, you walk out kind of feeling, woo, like this. You, you've, you, you've made an adjustment to something. You know, like if you go, if you're like in construction and the door is in a certain spot and then you got to move the door, that's a massive adjustment. There's like tearing down and resetting and reframing. It's an adjustment. And here's what the adjustment is. It's to move from dreaming and scheming about your future all by yourself. You move away from dreaming and scheming about your future, just like what do you wanna do? What, what is on my mind? What is all that I want? And then that's, that's what you spend your time about. Now that takes an intentional moment. And actually a lot of people don't want to take that moment. Because if you are pushed to consider what you're dreaming and scheming about, you might find that it doesn't have very much to do with Jesus. And that discomfort will make you not ask the question anymore and just keep going with your life because Monday's coming. And Monday might represent you doing everything your own way and never one time considering Jesus in that decision. But you move from dreaming and scheming about your future to teeming and theming your future with Jesus. You're teaming up with him. 
You're theming up with him. So it moves from, you know, what am I going to do, me, myself, alone, to Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we gonna do? Jesus, where are we going to go with our lives, with my life and, and you as my leader? Jesus, how should we spend my life? And so what happens when you say, I'm, I'm in, yes is the answer, what's the question? He's going, I'm gonna lead you down pathways that you may not wanna go. But I'm telling you, it's the best. My way is the best. You, you were trapped in sin and death and that world will destroy you and was destroying you. Now, when you follow me, you, you walk this pathway and I'll take you through spaces and places that might be difficult, but it's way better. It's, it's, it's the best. You know, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, he's, it's not just a way to get up there. It's a way to walk through here, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding alone, but in all your ways acknowledge him and then he guides your path, right? So that's what a Christian is. But what, we, what I wanna get to is like, there's the milkshake follow and then there's the, ah, this is where we cut ties because I don't think I can give that up. And I don't think I can do that. And this reality turns people away. It turns people away from Jesus. No, like, like there are people that have the milkshake view of following Jesus and they're like in, but then when Jesus, just even in isolation, maybe in church, whatever, reading a book, God asks them to step into a different way to think about their marriage, that is really uh, different than what they were thinking on their own or how they were gonna engage with family or how they were gonna do, you know, their finances. You know, I mean, like, John, when we talk about finances, like, we teach at this church that if you're a follower of Christ, you should shoot for a tithe, 10% of your income. Now, I'm just using that as an example, not to freak you out, which some of you are totally freaked out by that. You're totally freaked out when you start to think about going and looking at your, you know, $10 a year. You got your $10, right? And it's like, I can't imagine giving one of those 10 away to God. I can't, no God, like I, I'll give you 25 cents, milkshake. But like the 10, per, whoa, that's just like, that costs too much. That's inconvenient. That doesn't feel like it's best. That is the type of what it means to wear Jesus. Now, we're not, I'm not trying to like get everybody to give because of that. I'm saying that that right there is an easy way to communicate the line that people struggle to cross. Oh God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Okay, call your best friend and apologize for what you said 10 years ago. Ah, let's, nice try, God. What else? What else? So when the answer is yes, that's a scary thing in and of itself. But when the question becomes whew, difficult, it can almost separate the church. In fact, the, the scriptures have a story where Jesus 
talks about the cost of following him and what I'm explaining to you that we all often do happens. This is in John 6, verse 56 through 69. I'm gonna put it up on the screen. It's a little bit longer, but I wanna read through it. And what's happening in this passage, before we look at there, look at me, don't start reading it yet because you won't hear what I'm saying. Jesus has done some walking on water. He's, oh, thank you. He's turned, he's turned um, a couple of uh, loaves of bread and fish into enough to feed 5,000, all right? He's, he's fed people and then there's 12 baskets left over. He's kind of calmed a storm and people are looking for him. They wanna know what he's about. And they're really large groups of people are starting to follow him. Like really like hundreds of people are following him and wanting to hear more of his teaching. And they're bringing sick people to him and they're asking him to do all these amazing things. Well, Jesus ends up in Capernaum, which is kind of outside of Galilee, which is close to where he grew up. And he's teaching in a synagogue. Now the synagogue is like if you have the Jewish temple that's right in the middle of Jerusalem, then the synagogue were, were the places where you would you know, learn the scriptures and study the scriptures out near you so you don't have to travel all the way into the city. It was like your little local church where they would read the Hebrew scriptures and practice those things and, and teachers would come and teach and rabbis would come around. And Jesus is in one of those synagogues and he's teaching. And of course, in those synagogues, you can you could just imagine that the devotion and the commitment to Yahweh, to God, and also the reverence and respect for prophets like Noah or Moses and Isaiah and the scriptures that they read about them. Well, when Jesus shows up, he starts to not only equate himself to these type of beings who represent so much to the Jewish people just living in the countryside going to church that day, but he actually says that the God that Moses has worshiped and Noah and Isaiah, he, he equates himself to that God. I am that God. And so you can imagine the kind of disruption that this would cause in a group of people who are, you know, worshiping God and then this guy's saying that he's God. And then he's got people that are following him and they're listening to him and they're experiencing him. And then he says some stuff that goes from the milkshake to the shake up, big time. And that's what John 6 gets us to. Let's read this. He says this, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who eats me will live because of me. Kind of intense. This is the bread which came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread which the ancestors ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said this in the synagogue while he was teaching in Capernaum. When they heard this, listen, look at, the, look at this. When they heard this, Many of Jesus' disciples said, this is difficult stuff. Who can take this? Who can take this? This is difficult. Jesus knew in himself 
that his disciples were grumbling about what he'd said. Does this put you off? He said, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you who don't believe. And Jesus knew from the beginning, you see, who it was that didn't believe and who was going to betray him. That's why I said, he went on, that no one can come to me unless it is given to them by the Father. At this, several of his disciples decided to go away and not follow him any longer. Jesus then turned to the 12. You're not gonna go away as well, are you? He asked. Simon Peter spoke up, Master. He said, who can we go to? Who can we go to? You're the one who's got the words of eternal life. We've come to believe it. We've come to know it. Now, when Jesus says, if anybody wants to follow me, they need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, we hear that and we go, what is, what is he talking about? And the translation is like daunting. And a lot of people throughout the years have taken this passage to just be simple symbol. But it's not. It's not just a symbol. It has so much more to do with the level of commitment that someone may have to a particular thing. You know, like if you think about it this way, when you are really into something, you kind of eat it all up, don't you? You just eat it up. I'm just so into it. I'm just eating it all. I'm just in. I want more. I can't get enough. And so what Jesus is saying is that the people who follow him are going to eat him. They're going to literally like sink their teeth in their lives fully in to the life and the fellowship of Jesus. And they're gonna drink the blood, which means that they may share in the broken body and the broken spilt blood of me. And so when the, the people who are listening, who are kind of in for the miracle, they're in for the you know, feeding 5,000. They want their kid to be un, you know, sick, not sick anymore. They want the milkshake. You know, they, they, wanna, they want Jesus to turn you know, water into wine. They want to walk on, calm the storm. That's what we want. That's easy, man. We're, we left home because you do all that good stuff for us. And Jesus goes, oh, you really wanna follow me? That's the easy stuff. I just did that for you. I just did all that for you. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. I did that for you so that you could like experience the goodness and the gracious kingdom of God. But if you wanna be a part of the kingdom of God, it's not just gonna be me turning water into wine, walking on water, uh, healing people. It's gonna be you eating me. And everybody went, that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna. Now, now, what are they saying we're not going to do? One of the great things that Jesus does is he's, a, he's a, obviously, obviously goes without saying a genius, but knows the entire Old Testament. And in this passage, when he says, eat 
my flesh or drink my blood. He's stealing a famous story from 2 Samuel 23. You can go back and read it sometime. There's a story about David. David is entrapped in battle and he wants water from Bethlehem, from his well, and he can't get it. But he has these three men who are super strong and they can fight. And they risk their lives to break through the kind of defenses to go get the water and bring it to David. And they actually bring him water. And David says, I'm not gonna drink this. I'm not going to drink the blood or the water of someone that might have risked their lives for me. What David is saying is that he would not participate in something that promoted or required potential blood or death. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a dual meaning. He's connecting it to Leviticus, how in the Jewish law, you weren't supposed to have anything to do with blood. But what he's saying is, there's no way that I am gonna participate or benefit from you guys laying your lives on the line. For me, I'm not gonna like kind of act like that's this small thing. It's too big. I'm not, gonna, I'm not taking that lightly. So there's no way that I'm just gonna benefit and drink your blood that you would lay down your life for me to get water. So he pours it out. And Jesus is stealing that phrase and he's saying, actually he flips it, unless you participate with and benefit from my blood. You have no part with my mission to bring about new creation, heaven and earth. To call, the call to eat flesh and drink blood was just way too much devotion. He is saying you need to participate in the death. You need to count the cost. Don't pour out the water or the blood, drink it. I'm inviting you in as a follower to wear me. And that means that I'm, I have spent all of my existence and will go forward to a Roman crucifixion where my flesh and my blood, it will be broken and my blood will be spilt and it is an expense that I'm giving to you that is costing me everything and I am inviting followers of me into that type of devotion. You wanna follow me? You gotta commit all the way. Your answer is yes and when it gets uncomfortable, it's still yes. Now, isn't that interesting? Look what people did. Now, you may have heard about faith and grew up and thought like, this is easy. I don't want, I don't want too much. And maybe nobody told you this part at first. No, maybe nobody did. And actually, if you look at it, Jesus didn't like go the first time he called all these disciples, his 12. He didn't call them immediately to full death and drinking the blood and eating the flesh. He didn't call him. To, I mean, he said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then they followed him. And then eventually, once they knew who he was, the ones that knew him went, that's all we got. You're everything. Of course, we're not gonna leave. You wanna take us wherever you wanna take us. You're the truth. You're the life. You're the one. But those that 
hear that and go, I didn't think Christianity was about me spending a lot. I thought it was God just spent everything on me and I get to do whatever I want or whatever, whatever your thoughts were. Hear this, I, this thing from Jesus where he goes, now listen, you guys have been, been around me for a little while. You've been coming to church for a little while. You're a follower for a little while. Let me tell you what, the, the, the reality of following Jesus is a huge expense. It's an inconvenience to you. It's gonna cost you a lot. You gotta eat the flesh and drink the blood and just full devotion. Yes, no matter what, milkshake minimum. We're going all the way up. It's embodiment, it's faith, it's risk, it's sacrifice, it's spending a lot. It wasn't that Jesus was talking too abstract. When we hear that, we hear abstract. He wasn't being abstract. Though no doubt there were some whose heads were spinning kind of after this long discussion and in and, and, and the synagogue. It was more that what he had said made a huge hole in their worldview. And when that happens, some people prefer not to think about it anymore. And if you go to a meeting or you go to church where someone demolishes the way you've been brought up to think and offers you instead a way of looking at the world which through convincing will be extremely costly, you may well find good reason to be somewhere else the next time the preacher preaches. But the disciples said this, they said, Master, who? Who can we go to? Who? And this gets to the core of what it means to wear Christ. Who or else are you gonna wear? Jesus fed the 5,000 and he did all these things that embody the kingdom of God and he offers us life to the full and it's abundant and it's a burden, but it's way less a burden than the burden of sin. And once you see that line, you kind of go, I mean, this could be hard, but who else are we gonna follow? Like who else, what else are we gonna do? Like you have the words of life, you are life, you have the way and fine, we'll eat. We're gonna do what you want us to do. And this is where this idea, this principle of wearing Christ, it has to land like this for us. You always put the who before the what. You always put the who before the what. Who are you following? Not what, who are you following? And then what do they ask you to do? Because when it comes down to following Christ, what he is going to do is he's gonna take you on a trust journey. He's gonna take you on a faith journey. He's gonna take you on this risk journey and you're not going to like where he's leading you, but you're gonna like him, Who him. And that's, that's what it is to say yes is the answer now, what is the question? It's you, Jesus. It's just whatever you say. Who else, what, I mean, who am I gonna follow? You know, maybe my dad is awesome. Maybe, maybe uh, my, my best friend is amazing. Maybe this teacher I had. I mean, there's great people, but you? I mean, like you may be leading me and there may be times where you're leading me down a road that feels like detrimental to me. It feels like it's putting me back. It feels like it's making my life worse. It feels like, God, you don't know what you're doing, but I will never be able to actually conclude that because who else would I follow? You're gonna take me to the perfect place that you think we need to go even if I don't 
want to go there. Like, who else are we going to go to? You're the one, Jesus. Bring it on. Let's eat. (laughs) What's interesting about this, when it comes to our faith, this is like difficult. And I think some of it is because of the way that this has been framed. But we do most meaningful things in life knowing how difficult they will be. Every one of you, that's what we do. We don't go home and think, let's do something meaningful with our lives. And then as soon as it costs anything, like energy, time, money, relational equity, starts to cost you something, no one goes, oh, well, I, I, wanna, I wanna do something that doesn't cost anything. Well, that's not gonna be meaningful at all. Anyone that's ever done anything that has any real meaning costs something. I got a text yesterday from Kristen. She goes to our church and she got involved in the backpack ministry that we did with Roy. And she texted me a picture of all her girls and their friends giving the backpacks to the kids, taking the backpacks to the kids. I'm sitting there and uh, I, you know, I had a busy day. I had a wedding. I, I couldn't be involved in that part of what they were doing. And I just thought, how about it, man? Like there they are on a Saturday at 2 p.m. spending their last weekend before school starts to help someone else's school week year go great. That's, that's a cost. We want you to follow Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Go to church, sit in the thing, listen to this. Well, what about taking extra time to do something that brings life and beauty to somebody? Nah, that's too much. But I mean, if you wanna get fit, oh, come on, man, difficult, painful. You wanna make money? You're working 90 hours a week. It costs everything. Sometimes you lose your family for money. But when God comes along and says, I'll give you your family, I'll give you the kingdom, I'll give you everything you could ever want and more, if you follow me, we go, no, I wanna do it my way. You know, the, the, the idea of dying is I think what scares people. You know, this idea of if, when Jesus calls someone, he bids them come and die. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that. And you go, ah, die, you know. Wow. He said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the life. He said, what does that mean to die? I don't really want to die. How's that work? The, the idea of dying is dramatic language. And, and in some cases, especially with the disciples and so many people throughout the last 2000 years, the cost of following Christ was their actual life. They died for it. But you know, the way that I want you to think about it is it's more like constantly yielding to the master or the expert the person who knows the way and shows the way, kind of like a tour guide who's been there a thousand times. That's what it means to say yes. Now what's the answer, no matter how difficult this gets? That's what it means in in fellowship to Christ. So imagine that you're going on a hike in Yellowstone or you're, you're, you're out in the Rocky Mountains somewhere and you have this tour guide and the tour guide, you know, looks like Bear Grylls. You know, and he just, he's got an English accent and he's like, yo, we're gonna do that. I don't know, you know? And he's got like knives and he's got like a strap. He's got straps and boots. 
And you're like, that guy looks like he knows. And he's like, I've done up this thing like 15,000 times. You know, I'm trying to go to Australian, but it, it, it works. You know, and you're just like, this is the guy. Like, we're gonna do what he says. And then you're like, yes, is the answer. He's like, follow me, right? And you follow him up the mountain. And then you get to this part and you, in your mind, you're thinking it looks like we should go this way because, you know, I, I hiked like three times in my life. My, look at my boots, they're brand new. I think I know the way. And, and then the tour guide goes, yeah, that way, you know, that way will like take you uh, um, on a smoother road. But there's like 15 different sets of bears and families over there. And literally it scares people and it's actually dangerous. This way is rougher terrain, it's quicker. We'll get there better, let's go. And just imagine going, whatever, dude, I'm doing my own thing. You go get eaten by a bear. That's what it means to follow Christ. And you come to him every single moment and you go, well, I wanna go this way. And he goes, well, let's do this together. I think we should go that way. Well, I wanna do this thing. And I don't think you should. I think we should go this way. It's dramatic language. It's not that your emotion needs to die. You know, it's not that your desires need to die. It's that your devotion needs to change. You know, Jesus wept, man. Jesus was emotional. Jesus got angry. Jesus cried. He got sad. Jesus was full of joy, man. When he goes to Zacchaeus' house and they celebrate this man turning his life back to the kingdom of God, he celebrates, man. He goes and turns water into wine. It's not about getting rid of your intrinsic desires. It's about yielding your intrinsic desires to the author of life. And you got your desires and they wanna go over here. And God says, let's not get rid of your desires. Let's just take them in the right direction. Let's devote ourselves to something that has meaning. And it's not just about perfection or correction. What it is, is it really at the heart of fellowship, really at the heart of the way that Jesus is gonna lead all of us is the way of self-giving love. That's just the way he's gonna lead you. He's gonna lead you to love people. He's gonna lead you to love yourself, to take care of yourself. He's gonna lead you to set boundaries. He's gonna lead you to be a listener. He's gonna lead you to spend time and money to bring goodness into people's lives. And all of that at times, it's gonna feel like a milkshake, but sometimes it's gonna feel like a mountain and you just gotta go, okay, I didn't, I didn't expect the mountain today, but it's you. Who else are we gonna go with? Who's gonna bring life? The guy that's done it a thousand times, the guy that made the mountain, made the trail. He knows everything you ever need to know. Follow him and I bet you'll be okay. Don't figure out how to make life easy. Figure out how to make and live an adventure. Live an adventure following Christ, the God who laid this adventure at our feet in the garden. Work God's way, be married God's way, have kids God's way, go on vacation God's way, be a friend God's way. Do all these things God's way. At times it will seem impossible, but it will be better. It'll cost a lot, but joy awaits. So we're gonna take a minute and we're gonna actually have communion. This passage that we've looked at today is a passage that is, is a staple in teaching and understanding what communion is because Jesus goes on and he has the Last Supper and he takes this body and blood 
um, picture and he moves it forward and he develops it forward. And one of the things I just wanna invite everybody to this morning is as they commune with Christ to take it a step further in, in terms of its meaning. You know, for the first 1500 years of the church, every church extension, every hub all throughout Europe in the Middle East and wherever it was growing for the first 1500 years, they all believed that the presence of Christ was somehow found in the Eucharist, in communion. Eucharist is a word that just means thanksgiving. And it's, it's part of the body and the blood that we now take at what we call communion. The last night uh, that Jesus was with his disciples, he took bread and he took wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And he said, take this and eat it. Take this and drink this. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that way, he's saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And he's building on this. He's building on top of this. Now, for the first 1,500 years, those words and other teachings about communion made it so that communion was the center of the church. It was the, it was the pivotal thing because it was you in a mysterious, the word sacrament or sacred, it means mystery. There was a mystery around the body and the blood of Christ. And there were some that took it all the way through that it meant that like this became the actual body and blood of Christ. But I don't, I don't go there. I go to this is more than just a symbol. This is way more than just a symbol. When you're eating the bread and you're drinking the blood, you're saying yes is the answer no matter the cost. You're saying I, I, I'm in. I'm all in with you. And so I'm gonna eat. I want, I want what happens with you to happen with me. I, I, I wanna spill my blood if I need to. I wanna give my life if I need to. Like I'm in, Jesus. That's, I wanna commune with you. I want you and me and me and you. I wanna wear you. And that's what communion is. And it's just fascinating that in the 1500s, a guy named Ulrich Zwingli, he came along and in the Reformation, the reason why we think of it as a symbol is at that time, he, he was looking at the scriptures in a new way because the scriptures were more available than they had ever been before. And so the Reformation brought about the importance of the Bible. And so, but in that moment, he actually moved communion out of the center of the church for the pulpit. But it always was for 1500 years. I think it's important to ask yourself the question, why was it so central? It's so central because if we don't eat the body, if we don't drink the blood of Christ, we are not understanding the breadth of our commitment to Jesus. And so as you take this, as you look at these things, as you look at the, the body that's broken and the blood that's spilled, I want you to move beyond symbol and I want you to connect with the spirit of the living God. And I want you to say, God, as your body is broken and as your blood was spilled, like, I want that for me. I want to drink. I want to eat. I want to give all to you. And so in a way, our flesh is blending with the Lord's. We're being transformed. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'll be with you. And this is a way for him to be with us. He's right here. He's right here. So take a moment. And I'm gonna say a prayer. 
And then when I'm done praying, I want you to stay in your seats and ushers are gonna dismiss you to your closest table. When you go to the table, you'll just grab the cup and the bread and go back to your seat. But I'm gonna say a prayer and, uh, and then we're gonna take communion together. Father, um, Lord, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for your timing and the words that you, you choose to, to speak to us. God, I pray that we're not the kind of people who just have one foot in. You know, like, you know that, we, you, that you've become to us God. That everything you said is true. And who you are is Lord. And so, so God, God, today as we take communion, we, we surrender. We surrender. You're the guide. You're the expert. You're the one. Take our flesh where you want to take it. Take our blood where you want it to go. God, we're, we're with you. Yes is the answer. We trust you. We trust you. We don't know. We don't know the way, God. We don't know what we should do. We need you. So thank you for making yourself available to us and giving us the power to follow you. We love you. Amen.